0: Hello, I'm Michael Brodeur and welcome to Leaders Alliance. We are a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who are passionate about helping you become the world-changing leader that God created you to be. Join the conversation. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Brodeur, the director of uh, Leaders Alliance, and I'm super excited about this next podcast we have today. So thank you for joining us. Those of you joining us live, those of you joining us in archive, we have a special guest today that I'll introduce in a few minutes, uh, Jonathan Nolan and He's just a phenomenal speaker. And so anyway, I'm very excited to have you on board with us. Leaders Alliance is a global community of kingdom-minded leaders who have joined hearts together to see God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have a passion for personal revival of every believer, that we would come into a full first love experience with Jesus. We have a passion for every single local church. We want to see churches rise up into the fullness of what God has called them to be but we also have a passion for impact in the greater community we want to see god's kingdom come in every aspect every sphere of society and we believe that the key to that is to bring together the marketplace and the church into a dynamic partnership A kingdom uh, conspiracy to bring the purposes of God to bear in all the earth. Most believers go to a church. Most churches are are really focused on building themselves. We want to actually bring about a, a, a church experience that really empowers every member to be a world changer. And so it requires, you know, about 50% of our members, our participants, our pastors, the other 50% are in the marketplace somehow. We want to bring those two realities together to see. The purposes of God fulfilled in the earth and our generation. And so, with that, you know, we have different, you know, our website is full of about 500 hours of training that we have in different uh, master classes and podcasts that we've done. You can find us also on YouTube and on, on social media as well at uh, leadersalliance.org. And the final thing I want to say is that we are a branch of a larger ministry called Catch the Fire. And Catch the Fire began about 28 years ago with an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Toronto. Literally millions visited Toronto to be touched by the Lord, to encounter Jesus in a new and fresh way, to understand the love of the Father and the the present work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that ministry has gone on under the leadership of John and Carol Arnott. And now it's recently been transferred to some amazing couple Duncan and Kate Smith and so we're we're really excited to be working as part of that ministry bringing the blessings that we've encouraged and, and discovered out to the greater body of Christ so thank you for joining with us and so I want to actually bring on my guest Jonathan Nolan could you come on right now and uh, we're gonna get rolling but anyway hey Jonathan good to see you
1: yeah let me just be introduce- on the show today.
0: Uh, we we gosh we met years ago probably five yeah. or six years ago and uh, you were at the time doing some amazing ministry in in China. And I'm going to have you talk about that a little bit because it's so fascinating what you guys were doing and the impact that you had in that nation. But uh, we've stayed connected over the years. And now you're doing Metron Manager, a Metron Manager project, which I believe is incredible. You've written an awesome book that I've yet to fully read, but I've read some pieces of it. I am so (laughs) blessed with... You know the the broadcast we just did with for our members just a few minutes ago, and I'm excited to bring some of these concepts now to the greater YouTube world, uh, the podcast world. So, um, gosh, welcome! And why don't you begin by just sharing a little bit of your story with us?
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on the program. This is exciting. I had a great time with the uh, hub meeting. That was fun. So this is great. Uh, Yeah, my name is Jonathan Nell, and I'm the founder of the Metron Manager Project and the author of the book, Managing Your Metron, A Practical Theology of Work, Mission, and Meaning. So these are available if you're curious, but this is really a treat to be on. I I have a new passion, a newfound passion for people in the workplace and for bringing a course correction, so to speak, in the body of Christ regarding what some would call the Christian caste system, or somehow we've ended up with. Uh, second tier and first tier believers in the church, and and a lot of people have lost what I call the dignity and mission of vocation, and so that's a lot of what about what about what I'm doing right now. Let me tell you a little bit of where I came from, a little bit of the backstory, to to help you understand a little bit why this is a different direction than I started out in early on in ministry. You know, I grew up on the mission field uh, in youth with a mission, Mich- youth with a mission, YWAM. Some of you might be familiar with that organization. Uh, my folks were uh, planting training centers, running programs all over the world. So I grew up in the bush, way out in the outback, so to speak, in different countries. Had a very traditional mission lifestyle and experience growing up uh, until I moved back to the U.S. in high school. But God had a real strong call on me for missions, and I continued to follow that and ended up doing mission work all through high school, straight out. I, I Of school i went into full-time ministry uh, with ywam in mission work and i worked in a real traditional approach to missions around the world i was operating with teams in the former soviet union after the collapse of communism we were just seeing incredible ministry in those days and i was i was passionate about it it was a really good experience and we would we would call it a slow day in Ukraine in those days if we only saw a thousand people come to the Lord. Like we would expect more. It was like, okay, two or three thousand—that's a good day, you know. And uh, we put a lot of work into that for months and months and months. And so, for the better part of the early '90s, early and mid '90s, I worked in that part of the world. And then my career in YWAM mission started to take a different direction, where I was leading a lot of teams, college teams around the world. Uh, for larger churches, all kinds of churches. I was their outsourced guy for outsourced mission field work, research, reconnaissance, facilitation, and I was taking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young adults out around the world every year. It was kind of my own little niche, so to speak, in the ministry I was with. But then God kind of called an audible on me and pivoted my wife and I into this opportunity uh, with China, with the university system in China. It was a really unique opportunity where the folks that God had called us to serve and support had actually been asked to bring about kind of a leadership cultural transformation in the country among the future leaders of the country within the university system from the top down. So it was a totally invited, approved operation with the blessing of the government, and they even knew you know, that we were Christians, but we just agreed to uh, abide by the rules in China and not mention it so to speak, and just do everything values-based. And this was an incredible opportunity to demonstrate the kingdom of God in China. And as this uh, organization developed, and I was the executive director, helped build a lot of the project over 11 years, we ended up seeing uh, upwards of 90,000 people's lives impacted through the programs and the effort. And thousands of these students, surprisingly, in my own estimation, came to the Lord on their own Choosing and their own as their own idea. We never even told them we were Christians. But one of the things God taught me in this season was that when you can't use words, you have to lead with the gospel of the kingdom. And when you lead mm. with the gospel of the kingdom, uh, the you know the word says that the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, and forceful people are laying hold of it. When people begin to climb in, so to speak, come in through the doors, the windows, when they get an experience to live a little bit of their life in the kingdom of God, they never want to leave. So that was a large part of this experience in China. And it led me towards the ministry I'm doing right now with working professionals
0: that's amazing wow well I, so let me just clarify though about the stuff because i was so fascinated when you originally met with me about what god was doing in china you were actually teaching like essentially an ethics course is that what it was and then and then based on biblical values but not using scripture and then and then you'd be able to grab these students and, and invite them to a, a a retreat or something right and be able to D- spend deeper time with them i just yeah. want to just get a little bit of that uh specifics on this because it, it yeah, just the, sounded the so program, intriguing
1: yeah the program that we developed was was a values-based program that basically brought in the cultures the culture of heaven and the ways of god into a workplace discussion essentially wow. i would call it spiritual soft skills but packaged for a hostile environment that didn't want wow. scripture involved So, there was a bit of an art to delivering that. But in that process, uh, it was way more than ethics. This was the interesting side of it. We went for values and virtues versus just ethics. And this heart transformation that we went after with students led to an appetite for righteousness. We were able to cultivate an appetite for righteousness, and then we would. And they didn't know where to get it or what it was. It just it lit up their internal design that God had given them that seeks oh, out like this, this this uh, homing device that God's put in to all humans that's looking for heaven, that's looking for the presence of God. So we would just give a little taste test of what it's like in our programs, oh, in our materials, how we impacted society, how we taught students to take care of the poor and needy in their own country, these elite university students. And then we would invite them to these transformational summer programs where they would get to go and live with Christians from the US and go through this program together in English and just have this incredible action-packed life on life experience for 10 days straight. It was like, we would say that it was like taking an eraser spiritually and erasing darkness out of their life for 10 days and letting them live in the kingdom of light. And then at the end of that, they just didn't want to leave. That was the beauty of demonstrating the kingdom. And then as part of that, one of the really unique aspects of transformation that was happening was we would take these non-Christian students who had been very transformed in a kingdom way in their heart on outreach. So we would take a lot of them to actually go and reproduce in the marginalized and poor kids in the interior of China. Uh, what the transformation that had just happened in their own lives in this program. So we're essentially taking non-Christians on outreach to minister to the poor and needy and the disenfranchised in the country. It was a profound transformation process and very unorthodox to my history in traditional mission work. Because surprisingly, there were no missionaries involved in this. You couldn't be if you were involved in organized organizations around religion or mission or anything like that. You'd never be able to do this. It was all career Chinese background folks that were in different careers and opportunities in life, whole range from investment bankers down to middle school teachers who were circling together to serve and develop and meet the felt needs in this country so that we could meet real needs
0: in the kingdom. Wow, that's so amazing. Well, you know, in addition to that though you then started making a transition into what you're doing now talk about those couple of years transitioning now to metro manager project
1: well you know one of the one of the interesting dynamics that happened in this journey with the work in china was we found it was incredibly hard to get the body of christ to value Mm -hmm. what was going on in china with this opportunity to impact these students and to transform their lives, literally, it's like these students were being handed to us on a silver platter, and I could not convince any, hardly any uh, people from the U.S. to value this or get involved because they would always ask, "Well, when do you get to do the altar call?" I'm like, "We don't do that. This is China. This is not how right. this works. Uh, we're at, we're doing kingdom work here, and we have phenomenal results, but it's not what we're that's not what we're doing." And yeah this lack of understanding of of actually a gospel of the kingdom and of a kingdom context really was difficult for a long time. So it set me on this journey to figure out what is the challenge here? Uh, Why, why do people not take this advantage of this opportunity? And it came down to a real lack of understanding of what God was doing to build his kingdom and val and Mm -hmm. a lack of the value for the here and now, so to speak the on earth as it is in heaven work of developing and serving and building for the kingdom of God, even if you don't see immediate uh, return Mm. on investment, so to speak, or something that looks good in the newsletter going home, uh, you get to see the kingdom of God modeled and emulated on earth in a way that speaks much more powerfully than words. And so part of that process was I, I realized we need a bit of a reformation here in our thinking in our theology particularly around the kingdom context the gospel of the kingdom and understanding of the value of work and vocation in the kingdom of god wow. that led to this project it led to the book and to this whole ministry that i'm doing right now
0: well wow, there's so much there to to crack open and talk about and i'm sure we'll get to it over this next uh, hour or so but um so as you developed the 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 framework for kingdom reality what what kind of was the process like in terms of you awakening in your mind and and also in relationship to the local churches that you've been a part of how did you see that transition take place
1: i think for me the biggest thing that i the biggest transition i went
0: through and I actually
1: learned this a lot from chinese christians was long-term thinking yes chinese christians much like china in general and chinese society i mean they make thousand year plans Uh, yes they're not you know messing around they're not preoccupied with the little offenses so to speak on the daily because they've got a long-term game and a long-term game plan and much of you know chinese christianity and and believers there also think long term and they're Mm -hmm. very concerned about the condition of their country and about the condition of society and the ills going on there and so that uh that really impacted me because i realized in the west we did not have a long-term trajectory in mind a lot of times theologically or uh, the things we value are very uh separated in a right. uh, plutonic way almost to yeah. where we have sacred things and secular things and we compartmentalize stuff and yeah. often to the hurt of society and to the hurt of what God cares about and what and the space that he's put us in. So I began to realize we weren't dealing authentically or effectively with the people, places, and spaces that God had put us into. And it was largely, I think, just untaught and unaddressed. So this yeah. led me to really study this out and to deal with my own eschatology, to really rethink <laughs> that, to also deal with my missiology And what I viewed as mission in the kingdom of God, and when you applied the kingdom of God to mission, it changed the whole equation. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I was raised in the traditional approach of like checklist missiology, where you're just trying to knock off some people groups so you can get the heck off this rock. And that was my whole idea of what missions was. And as soon as I had this kingdom paradigm shift and started to really dive into this, I realized, you know what? the Chinese have got some things right here <laughs> with their thinking um, and, well, and we need to make a long-term measurable, authentic impact and really demonstrate so the kingdom of God as an alternative to darkness. Because yeah. if we don't have an alternative, what are we talking about?
0: Absolutely. and And again, unfortunately, one of the biggest feeders of the, of our ineffectiveness in this age is the fact that we have an escapist mentality. We're just ready to get off the planet rather than really trying to transform the planet. So talk to us now about the word Metron. How did you kind of come up with that concept and how does it fit into the book you wrote and the the project you're engaged in?
1: Yeah, good question. Uh, I realized, I guess early on in this process when I was thinking through all this, that we just lacked a framework, and we lacked some vernacular, some some language,
0: mm-hmm. yeah,
1: to understand our context as believers on the planet, what we're actually supposed to be doing here, and why we really lack the why of all this mm-hmm. stuff, and and because we lack the why, we found ourselves without purpose, we really mm-hmm. lost purpose, and you know, you got Christians that are just as stressed out and overridden by anxiety as people in the yeah. world, and That's this. True. You know, I came across this term, uh, Metro, I started to hear it talked about, you know, at different churches and pastors sort of mentioning this, but I started to explore this a little bit, and it occurred to me that this was not just something that was relevant to Paul. I was like, you know, this framework that he's living by and doing ministry and life by, according to kind of set his boundaries, set his space in scripture, he says, uh, applied to everybody. It was a transferable model that was really relevant So in second Corinthians 10, 13, the apostle Paul says, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere. And that word sphere is translated from the word metron in Greek,
0: Mm -hmm. uh, which God has
1: appointed us. So he recognized that God had appointed him a specific space. And, and some people call it a sphere of influence. I hear that talked about a lot and that's fair, but that's not really what a metron in is a metron is more of a sphere of responsibility, a sphere Mm -hmm. of influence bothers me because when Christians hear that or even others, but let's talk Christians right now, right. They think of it as a take it or leave it Instagram moment. Like we have this mindset Mm -hmm. about Instagram being influence and this kind of thing. It's like, if it's convenient, if I've got the right filter, my hair looks good today, I'm feeling up for it. You know, there's all these caveats and then, and then I'll call it influence. That's not what I don't think what Paul is talking about paul's talking about here an appointed space of responsibility much wow. beyond influence yes you influence wow. but you take responsibility so the term yeah. that i came to as i worked through this uh, on the book and how i was writing the book came up with my own working definition because i hadn't really found one <laughs> beyond the scripture i uh, yeah. i say a measure a metron is a measure of responsibility delegated by God to you in the midst of creation, culture, and spiritual history.
0: Nice. Yeah, I like that a lot. And so again, I love the shift from influence to responsibility, because again, I think there is this kind of optional kind of mentality we have about sphere of influence. Well, if it works out or if it's convenient, but when you're talking about responsibility, it really is a stewardship. So talk to us yeah. a little bit more about that. I mean, how do you see that? I know in our previous conversation, you talked about the idea of two uh, two commissions that were given to uh, humanity, you know, the people of yeah. God, but also to all of humanity. Talk about that a little bit and how it really is more than just an optional uh, choice. It really is a responsibility that's been delegated to us by our Father in heaven. Talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, let me start with a quote from uh, Dallas Willard. <clears throat> this is a quote I really like. He says, The greatest issue facing the world today, with all of its heartbreaking needs, is whether those who, by profession or culture, are identified as Christians, if they will become disciples, if they'll be students, apprentices, mm-hmm. practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. And that's really how I see the Metron concept is your your corner of human existence is your Metron. Everybody's yes. got a corner of human existence. And most of it is a messy, broken, muddy place. And a lot of people don't realize that they are actually empowered scripturally and by a, their original design to actually be the solution for these areas and for the problems they find themselves in, and that that's being that solution in a collaborative role with God is actually what testifies about the power of God and humbles the powers of darkness. When they see it work in you and through you, and you do things God's way in God's universe, you see the blessing that testifies. And that's the question we would get a lot of times in China with our work was, we do the same kind of things. How come when you do it, it works? And when we do it, it doesn't work. And Mm. the missing link was this idea of co-laboring and who you're working with and who owns the system. (laughs) And, uh, so there's much more about that in my book, but let me talk to you a bit about these two great commissions that are found in scripture. Mm -hmm. This is really the linchpin of human existence for those that know and fear the Lord. So the first great commission is where we get the foundations of theology of work. And this okay. idea of work being a form of worship. Mm-hmm. So in Genesis one twenty eight, it says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and every living thing that moves on the earth. Then it continues on in Genesis 2.15, we get the other part of the original commission, the original great commission. Then the Lord mm-hmm. God took the man and put him into the garden to cultivate it and to keep it. These two words are crucial, cultivate and keep. So we'll touch on those mm-hmm. and this will this will illustrate why we have an original design and with these two these two great commissions in scripture inherently impart responsibility and authority and ability to do what God's called us to do. It it imparts purpose to us. So in Genesis 2:15 when it says cultivate that mm-hmm. word is abad in the original hebrew and it's the the word means work but it also means worship so what the first command was to work but also Mm. it was to worship and work was worship it's kind of an inseparable definition and as you work and do the cultivation of the planet as you obey that becomes a form of worship so inherently work becomes a form of worship right out of the gate at creation and it defeats this idea that work is somehow secular that somehow it's mm-hmm. in the way of doing something for the Lord, or it's a counterbalance to something spiritual. And yes. this idea of uh, cultivate is where we get the word uh, well, the word cultivated descends from the Latin word cultus, uh, which means worship. And right. even in Spanish today, you know, cultos is like a worship service. So you still have this right. idea in the Latin right. language. And this idea of work being worship is really revolutionary to the body of christ you know i never actually understood this until way into my Mm -hmm. 20s like later in in Mm -hmm. life i mean i think i understood it inherently in the back of my mind but nobody had ever come out and said that so to speak Mm -hmm. so the big takeaway for me and from this original commission was that work was ordained before the fall and it's not a result of the fall right now where things get really interesting is how the original commission ties into the great commission. This is where things get a little bit technical. So hang with me on how we unpack this. Cause I think this sure. will really help people who don't, you know, I know a lot of people that don't even read or take seriously the first couple of chapters of Genesis. They just blow yep. that off and start in like Genesis three. I'm like, if you right. don't start at the beginning, you miss the whole point of the book. Right. And so the question is, do I see work? as in the way of doing something spiritual or is it the way of doing something spiritual Mm. or in the kingdom of God? That's a good self-assessment question. So what was Adam's original commission? He he was to take responsibility. He had a Metron, but it was a garden at the time Mm. and creation. He was to take responsibility to see the world outside the garden become like the world inside the garden. And to do that he was supposed to cultivate it and keep it now there's some powerful little side notes to this that help us understand what we're doing in our metrons because we all have a metron like paul does Mm -hmm. adam and eve had a garden we have a metron and we're all called to work and to work as worship but how how does this fit into god's original design his original structuring of creation did you know that at the beginning it says the condition of creation the bible says the condition of creation outside the garden was not the same as inside the garden it was very Mm. different and it was not fully alive yet it had potential but it wasn't fully alive and the garden was another thing to consider is the garden was crafted as a benchmark environment it was a starting point for mankind not the destination it was an example of what the rest of creation was supposed to become Mm. So it leads us to this question did you know that creation is waiting for you to work that you have Mm -hmm. to work for creation to work wow that's a that's a thought i had not considered to actually started researching this book because in genesis 2 verse 5 it says now no shrub of the field was yet in the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprouted for the lord god had not sent rain upon the earth and there was no man to cultivate the ground. So God, God was withholding the rain, withholding his part of the equation until man brought their part of the equation and worked to cultivate the ground. So there, he was awaiting mankind to do what he'd asked him to do. And then this produces the model of co-laboring right at the beginning of Scripture, that we're doing this together. God brings part of the equation. He expects mankind to obey and bring the other part of the equation and then brings the life and the potential out of creation, and this is a, this is a really uh, this is a really challenging point for us because even we could say in our metron or in creation or society, the world around us, we're often really confused. of Why are things so miserable around us? Why do I see right. so much death and destruction wow. and brutality? And we don't realize that oftentimes that potential, the potential solutions, the provision, the uh, capacity. Everything that God's put into creation for the hum- the cause of human flourishing is waiting for mankind to apply their part of the equation wow. to obey and work. And when we wow. avoid that, we actually negate the potential.
0: That so is incredible. Wow. The,
1: uh, the commission then ties in, interestingly, to the Great Commission, the original commission does. Mm-hmm. In the Great Commission, we have this often overlooked word, Translated observe, <laughs> yeah, where it says to teach them to observe. Some people would say in different translations, teach them to obey or teach right. them, you know, there's a couple or right. there's a, or keep. There's a couple words like sure. that. That word in the Great Commission is the direct tie-in back to the original commission. Mm-hmm. The word yeah. shamar in the in the uh, Genesis 215 to cultivate and keep it, the word keep is shamar. Right. Is wow. translated as stewardship generally, mm-hmm. and but it's much more. It has a deep definition, and that definition says to keep guard, observe, give heed, have charge over, keep watch, ward, protect, and save life. But then the last one is observe. Mm-hmm. Now we move on to the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. That word observe is the Greek word toreo, and that word toreo is the direct equivalent of shamar, wow. or the direct equivalent wow. translation. And it means exactly the same thing as Shamar. And so that deep, right. deep commission from God and that overlooked word observe is incredibly crucial. Here's something I didn't mention in the uh, hub meeting, but there's a little little nugget for you. I believe that in both commissions, there's a, quali- a qualitative and a quantitative c- component to the commission. Sure. And this yeah. is where the observe word is a qualitative command it's an open ended mm. command that yeah. you can't quantify the results like some of the first part of the cultivate part right.
0: and the, right. and
1: this opens up a whole discussion about where is all this going because you can't if you believe that this is a qualitative command and you believe the full definition of the word observe you can't put a lid or a cap on when the great commission is done there yeah. is not a a a checklist that you can complete to say, I have qualitatively completed the great commission. And it's because we don't understand that word "observe." So not only does it, the theology of work tie directly to mission and puts everybody on mission in the kingdom of God, but it also opens up the event horizon for completing the great commission in a very exciting way.
0: That's so amazing. You know, I I mean, even as you're talking and, and having spent some time with you already hearing some of your, perspective on this you know again i i i first of all had this idea that the garden didn't require a lot of work so here you are just hanging out and (laughs) you know, just picking the fruit off the tree and eating it oh don't pick that one but you you know there's there's no part there's no partnership with humanity to god in terms of function or in terms of work okay and then and then seeing you know as you referenced just briefly the fact that really hard work was really a result of the curse And it's funny because, you know, I have seven kids. Uh, Half of my kids are, you know, in the Gen Z kind of side of things. And their whole thing is like, well, why do I have to work? And what's the point of work? And, you know, it's like they don't even understand that. Wait a minute. There's something not just it's not a curse. It is actually the fulfillment of of our design, That we would actually partner with God and be able to take responsibility and be able to do our part, as you said, in the uh, Genesis 2.5 statement that God's waiting for us. And it also ties in this other thought that I had, which is, you know, that people have asked me, well, if God's so good, you know, why is the world in such a bad state? And I just would tell people God didn't allow it. We did. Because God put us in a position of oversight. Where we were called Absolutely. to observe in a sense everything that he had commanded us, and we failed to observe it. Therefore, we released the garbage, the brokenness, the difficulties, the, the sin, the pain, the the disease. In other words, that we were given authority. See, all of this is tying together, but I never associated it with a theology of work. I just yeah, I mean, uh, look at
1: with co-laboring. I mean, even even look at how that got started. What was the some yeah. of the first things that God told adam you know yeah. there's this concept of that god left things unfinished at creation on mm. purpose yeah and they, they weren't going to get done unless adam did it, it that was the design yeah. so one wow. of the first things he he did well was well he says subdue cultivate and keep apparently right. there were things that were not subdued not cultivated and right. not kept right yeah. and so there was immediately uh, a requirement for work mm. but then what does Adam get to do? He's asked to name the animals. That was like right out of the gate. One of his first co-laboring jobs. God right. brings the animals to Adam. Adam imparts a name. God says, that's pretty weird, but we'll go with it. Cause that's what I said we're going to do. And, yeah. uh, <laughs> and so yeah. he allows, this is the beauty of co-laboring with God in the kingdom is God right. allows you to co-author with him things in yeah. creation. And yeah. there's things in creation that will not come to be if you don't name that animal. Right. And and this is, I mean, people might think, well, that's simple. Well, yeah, but everything matters to God in the kingdom of God. Yeah. He wants to co-author these realities with you. I mean, that's yeah. the father, son, daughter relationship that's right. driving the original design. And that's where things get really fun is when you're under your day-to-day in the workplace, in the marketplace, in your family, You're figuring out with your family, whoever's in your Metron, how you're managing it. What are we going to do to name some animals today? How are we going to co-author the environment in this space? How are we going to bring redemption, reconciliation, restoration? How are we going to reverse the effects of the fall in the people, places, and spaces that God's given us right now?
0: That's so good. You know, um, you, you said a statement earlier, and you said it in our previous broadcast as well, that you know most, I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher it. So you say it right, but <laughs> you know that most of us see uh, work as something that gets in the way of ministry, rather than work being the way of ministry. Right. Elaborate on that, because you know obviously, you know you said 97, 98 percent of every single believer. We're all called to be full time ministers, but only a very small percentage will ever make our living from quote the ministry okay right. in that sense but the rest are still full-time ministers but they've been assigned by god if they're in the will of god to be working as an educator or working in medicine or working in in business or working in government or civil service yeah. or whatever they have a responsibility that is not incidental it's actually it's not accidental <laughs> it's actually the will of god that they would be placed into that environment to not only be a witness of Christ in that environment, but actually also be working with Christ for the betterment of that environment. Talk to us about that. Like, how does this translate into vocational um, yeah. uh, excellence? Well, the point of vocation and the point of your work
1: is occupation. Yeah. And so the reason we work in the kingdom of God is because we're occupying space. We wow. are We are reclaiming space spiritually uh, emotionally, physically, practically, economically, whatever it is, we are occupying space in the kingdom of God in creation in a redemptive way that displaces the plans and purposes of God for that very same contended space. And so when you're working uh, any kind of job, you're, if you're unemployed, you still have a job. Some people tell me I'm unemployed. I don't have a job. I don't have a Metron. (laughs) Well, you do. You have a Metron that's right here inside of you. And if right. you're not managing that well, you won't manage this well on the outside. Right. So you have to start with the smallest area of responsibility first. But this idea of occupying yeah, is vital to re- bringing back the dignity and mission of vocation, because mm. every vocation, every activity, everything, every word, thought and deed, every practice, every lawn that you mow mm. is yeah. commissioned to hold the ground for the kingdom of God. So that that oh, wow. space is, Jesus finds that space redeemed. He finds that space welcoming for his presence. He finds that space guarded, protected, watched over, a good shamar, a good Toreo over all of that part of creation. He says, all right, we've got this. This is yours. Now let's expand a little bit because it's always for expand how the kingdom works. It's always for increase. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenge in the Christian world that I've observed, particularly in the missions world, I. Uh, you know, I've worked in like 60 countries, done every kind of imaginable mission work, grown up on the receiving end of mission work in foreign countries. even. Wow. Yeah. Uh, we cause a lot of problems globally because we disconnect ministry from work, just a high yeah. view of work in general. And so what we've ended up doing inadvertently, I mean, I I'm a missionary. I've I've been sent, you know, I'm a support raised missionary. I, I am that guy. So I'm speaking to myself here, but you, you go to a country and you have the best of intentions, Mm -hmm. but you don't have a job. You have Mm -hmm. a lot of money, but you don't have a job. Yeah. You, You, in their eyes, you're, you know, the question becomes then, uh, what are you representing? In, the, in these wow. countries, people become Christians, yes, but a lot of times they do it because they see it as a way of having money without having to have a job. Right. So inadvertently, our models have modeled uh, this idea that work is in the way of doing something spiritual rather right. than being the way that the kingdom advances and the very purpose for what mm. God designed you to do. So when we complain about prosperity gospel in Africa, how did we get that? We got right. that through modeling this money without work and Mm -hmm. you know, all these other aspects of that. So there can be a lot of damage done by the models that we utilize and what Um, the secondary byproducts that people pick up in these countries when we're doing mission without work. And so this is why work has to be demonstrated as the very means, the very Mm -hmm. redemptive model of living, the very purpose of why you're a Christian. So that when people become a Christian, They don't say, I'm going to become a Christian so I don't have to work and I have money. They say, I'm going to become a Christian so that I can work and transform the world around me through my vocation.
0: And then
1: it's a whole different mindset. You don't have to worry about the prosperity gospel if you fix the theology of
0: work on the front end. It's amazing well yeah I mean John Wimber actually did some research when he was the president of the Fuller Institute of Church Growth where he actually looked at a bunch of fully funded church planters compared to bivocational vocational church planters and found out that across the board the results were about the same in other words there's something also about being working around people that contextualizes you as a human being rather than being a fully supported minister, irrespective of anybody else. In other words, there is that sort of caste system that gets created when we're not actually engaged in labor. And so, um, but he actually found that that the that the degree of, of contextualized integration with the people he was trying to reach was better for a church planter to be biv- bivocational in general, even yeah, though, you know they, know, they didn't have the funding. Yeah.
1: I would say there's wisdom in that, you know, and I'm not necessarily opposed to that one or 2% of the body of yeah. Christ that are called to be yeah. <clears throat> full-time Christian professionals, you know, and that sure. are support raised or paid by a church or whatever. That's yeah. fine. And I think that's biblical and godly, but it doesn't address the other 97% of the body of Christ right. and their lived right. realities. But yeah. also, you know, and within—let's uh, switch focus here to the 3%, or the 2 or 3%. Yeah. Here's yeah. what I've seen being part of those guys, the two or 3% right, right. is that there's also a very low value of work mm. and a low view of work within the called Christian professional world as well. And yeah. that sometimes people get jobs, so to speak, in the church world thinking that they're not going to have to work. And we all, you know, those yeah. of us who have worked in churches know that's not true. <laughs> you actually <laughs> probably do five or right. six jobs simultaneously. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But having a low view of work in there leads to some strange and uh, diminishing byproducts.
0: Right. Uh, in that
1: world, you get a lot of lazy people. I mean, That's I right. you would not believe the people yeah. around my staff in my mission organization sure. <laughs> to yeah. get some work done was like you know asking for the moon. And it was yeah. like, okay, this is just somehow we're not imparting reality here. I mean, we're missing right. all of this and this lack of theology of work. You know, one interesting thing I've seen with this um, is that if people don't have a high view of work and they don't realize this equation with God where he's waiting for you to bring work to your part of the work, so to speak, to the equation so he can bring the increase and the blessing and the life and the growth, we try to get away from bringing the work through focusing things on like getting it done through prayer and prophecy, Yes, We try to circumvent the original design by over-spiritualizing it and say, well, I'm just going to pray this into existence so I don't actually have to lift a hand. And uh, and, uh, that's the downside of not understanding the uh, nature of theology of work, even in a very healthy spiritual environment, is you can still be very spiritually avoiding work. And, of, and then you complain about the lack of blessing in life in
0: that agreement. right. And then you say, "Well, something happened in the heavenlies, but it didn't manifest on the earth." You know, it's like
1: right. but, or you start you looking know, around for you, somebody to blame.
0: <laughs> so. Exactly. Or, or you, or, you know, it's what I would call fantasy church, where we just go through all the motions, but we never actually bring the impact of the kingdom in in tangible ways, in ways that are actually measurable. And that's the other side of the word Metron is that is that there is a measure. There's a there's a there's a definable outcome that we're longing for and that if we don't achieve that outcome. And that's you know, one of the things motivating Leaders Alliance is that is that, you know, in the last 50 years since I've been a Christian, I've been a Christian like 47 years. That the church has lost ground i mean we used to have a place at the table we used to have an influence right. in hollywood and in civil government and in these places and right now the polarization is so great the the um the stuff being taught in schools is so contrary to biblical worldview i mean all these points of measurement the church has lost ground how do we reclaim that well we need to actually have a strategy that is much more comprehensive than simply just running a service on a sunday morning and uh, yeah. and i think that's where empowering the marketplace leaders in our churches is one of the keys because most most marketplace people are in a church most yeah. people who are vocationally identified as christians i mean I, i'm sorry as as uh, as workers in the marketplace but who are christians are under a pastoral leader at some point. Talk about that. Talk about, like, in other words, if you had a a group of pastors in the room, how would you help them to begin? Like, what would be some of the steps, practical steps they can take to start to bring their their marketplace people, the people, well, it's basically 97% of the church, into a revelation of their Metron responsibility?
1: Well, for one thing, I think it has to be fundamentally taught this framework put in place just as a piece of the core DNA. Uh, you know, I mean, it can be done in five minutes, literally yeah. just put this into the DNA. So there's a structure to apply the rest of the build onto that holds it all together. People build a lot of stuff without a structure and the whole thing gets wobbly and, yeah. and questionable in how, in what yeah. its validity. So that's a big part, a simple part. The next part though, is is defeating this Christian caste system problem yeah. and not allowing that to set in in the corporate culture of the church, which inherently, if left to itself, it will. And I'll give you an example. Um, you know, one of the f- bits of feedback I hear from a lot of Christian professionals that I work with and coach and deal with a lot of these questions, mm-hmm. they, would, they would say, you know how I, they would be like, I would never tell my pastor this, but you want to know how I really feel when the pastor and the leaders are up there laying hands on missionaries and praying them out to go to the bush somewhere, they said, "Not good." <laughs> they said that uh, they would it outwardly say, "Yeah, that's great," but inwardly they would say, "You know, I've been demoted one step further in my in my value in this community." Wow, and in wow. and uh, and this goes on and on and on for years. That there's these special, select, super Christians that get recognize they have the dignity and mission of what they're doing but in the marketplace right. which is 97 percent of the body of christ or even the single moms who are never recognized or that's have right. any purpose or validity imparted i mean who's ever heard of somebody laying on hands on the the mom who has a homeschool co-op and praying <laughs> out her into her mission that's right from yeah. the front of the church you do that and you won't lose people in your church Wow. You, start, you start laying on hands. This is actually what I heard from a lot of these people. I'd ask them, what would change your experience at church? Mm. They said, just bring me or others up there and lay hands on me and pray me out and commission right. me into my ministry in supply wow. chain at this big company. Right. And into my domain. Let me share testimonies from the front of the wow. things I see God doing every day. And and here are the problems I have with how I'm interacting on a daily basis with this fallen, broken world around me that I'm trying. My Metron is a mess and I'm the only Christian and I need to be developed and empowered in that of how to be missional, how to be on mission, how to manage my Metron and and not be, you know, mentioned every four or five years when there's like a building campaign. And you just need some money from the guys working the jobs, you know. Yeah. And that's how they feel. So right. we we just self-defeat without intending to in the culture. Right. And it's not that hard, I don't think, to change it, to change the direction.
0: No, I think you're totally right on. That's amazing. Well, we're going to have to wrap up in about 10 minutes or so. So I want to make sure that we're, we're covering some of the, because, you know, again, I'm being around you a bit, you know, I've heard some of the nuggets you have. <laughs> you talked about um, this idea. I don't know. I'm not going to say it correctly, but like shards, like, you know, the idea of uh, uh, yeah. uh, broken finishes in in the structures of, of society. Elaborate on that. Give us some framework for that. Yeah. So this gets back to this
1: idea of what are you actually doing in your Metron? And the, yes. I call it missionized theology of work. So once you've realized that, yes, work is the means and the commission, God gave you that, and it's missionized, it's connected to the Great Commission, how does that yeah. work out in the marketplace? Because I'm not quitting my day job and moving to India to live in a mud hut like some right. of us have done. You know, and right. So, yeah. uh, so how, what does this even look like? What's a missiology or a, an understanding of mission practice in the marketplace? And yeah. I came up with this, uh, this uh, model that I call broken edges missiology, which is what you're alluding to. And w- the way I understand this and have seen this is that within your Metron, you know, your Metron functions like a little mini outpost to the kingdom. And what is the kingdom always yeah. doing? It's always expanding. The Bible says it, the, yeah. the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's constant expansion in the kingdom of God. That's the dying. The garden was always supposed to extend outward and be cultivated into the earth. It was a model of the kingdom. And so everything is designed to work that way. So your Metron is as well. That's the point of what you have. Mm. So actually, you find as you Do well with the little, God expands you to more and to more Mm -hmm. and more responsibility. And as your Metron expands, the way I've learned to picture it, it's like you're pushing back the ocean of darkness around you.
0: Mm. You're pushing
1: back this sea and what's exposed when you push back the sea. You see the coral reefs, you see the shipwrecks, you see the dead bodies, you see the prisoners, you see the lost treasure, You see what I call the broken edges that start to emerge within the edges of your Metron. And what this does, when you have your spiritual eyesight in place and you're seeing with spiritual eyes and kingdom eyes and redemptive eyes, is you say, okay, I see this broken edge, this issue in my Metron that is now exposed as my influence and my responsibility has increased, that is my mission target. To bring redemption, redemptive solutions, restoration, reconciliation, to that which is in my sphere but as it moves out you you then you don't get uh, hung up on these impossible uh shame and guilt-filled expectations of man i can't change stuff on the other side of the ocean or i can't do mm-hmm. this or who am i when yeah. when you realize no god's expanding this part of the kingdom around me and i need to name some animals in here i
0: mm-hmm. need to bring
1: some identity in here yeah. i need to bring some solutions i need to cultivate cultivate and keep what you can in that space and so this idea of broken edges i think mirrors how the kingdom expands and the redemptive stuff that's revealed to us as that happens that gives us our targets our context and frees us up from this overwhelming anxiety that just shuts us down and says you know what i'm just going to sit on the bench and ride this thing out because i'm not a missionary so to speak no you're on mission to the broken edges of your metron and that could be a small as a broken edge in your child's heart or it could be political problems. as the president of a country, the same view and approach applies no matter what's in or out of your matron.
0: Right. Wow. That's, that's awesome. Because again, I think some of us do get overwhelmed by the, you know, the, in the world, they have a phrase that says uh, think globally, but act locally. Um, (laughs) But if you think, you know, if you, if you take responsibility for the whole planet where God hasn't really assigned you a Metron yeah. responsibility for the planet, you can increase anxiety and, right. and uh, you know, all of those issues. I mean, it's, it's very real, but if you actually take the next thing that God puts in front of you, yeah, you know, that, that re- take responsibility for, let's say, ministering to this one person who's, Bound up in a lifestyle that's not necessarily pleasing to God, but, but you're not even dealing with that at this point. You're dealing with the fact that they just lost a loved one or something. You know, it's like, how do you, your Metron includes responsibilities that are practical, but it also includes people. Talk yeah, about that. Absolutely. Like, how have you seen yeah. the application of this principle within, let's say, a middle management position when somebody's dealing with, let's say, overseeing 20 workers and, and they're having to manage their world there? Talk about that a little bit.
1: Well, you're always looking for a redemptive outcome. You're always looking yes. for the redemptive option in every situation, every crisis. What In the kingdom of God, it's there's win-wins. The only person that's yeah. supposed to lose in the kingdom is the devil. And yes. so that's one of the grids, you know, we put up, I would say, you know, to that term, I would say, uh, think kingdom and act locally. Don't yes. think globally. Globally is too yeah. small. Think kingdom and act locally. And when you when you do that, you realize um, that no matter what context you're in, you got solutions. So one of the things I encourage people to do is, is this whole area uh, that scripture bri- briefly touches on, but is a big deal, which is where it says, the kingdom of God's not about words, but about power. And so Mm. the learning to, to understand, how do you manifest power into your middle management role at a secular company? Yeah. That's the art of managing your Metron because you can't use words. People don't want to hear it. It might be illegal and people just aren't interested in general, but the minute you start evidencing the power of God and exercising spiritual authority over the atmosphere within your metron, within that space, within your area of responsibility, you start to be a part with God co-laboring to determine outcomes in that space. And where you start to find the broken edges on your team, uh, you begin, you begin to find redemptive solutions. I even know a a gentleman who he is, he's taken this to the next level where he's looking for redemptive structural solutions in the banking sector. How do you do banking the way it would be done before the throne of God? And how do I, how do I, You know, because we talked about that qualitative side of the great commission, qualitative Mm -hmm. matters to God, the quality of what's going on in his kingdom and in in creation is a valid target. You don't just have to count numbers of hands raised, but okay, how do we restore or redeem this banking sector and make it operate with the righteousness of heaven without ever telling anybody where those solutions came from. And that has actually worked. He's created a redemptive banking approach that's reproducible, it's able to expand to Metron's beyond his as a model for redemptive banking. So, and so, so the people are benefit on every level, the customer benefits, uh, the kingdom of God at large benefits, and the people in his space are encountering right. the presence of God versus the presence of darkness on a daily basis. Right. In his and you're not necessarily
0: atmosphere. talking about like overt signs and wonders, like you know praying for oh. somebody's healing or or torment to be gone in Jesus' name, although that could happen, but that's not primarily what you're talking about, right You're talking about uh, basically the the gift of word of wisdom, bringing heavenly solutions to both people problems and practical problems within the workplace, correct
1: yeah, in a way that comes across as a blessing to those that don't know God rather right. than an imposition or some kind of uh, force against people. Cause people are never the problem. They're always the point of right. everything. And the redemption is that's the goal. And so one thing I tell people I work with in co- coaching is who, what do people run into when they open the door to your office? What's the first experience wow. they have? Are they encountering the presence of God and the order mm-hmm. and the lack of chaos and the stability and the peace wow. that everybody wants to live in? when they open that door versus the door up to their office down the hall, that's the total opposite. Or when they walk into your office, do they experience the same kingdom of darkness that they just left? Because if you no. if your environmental management of the spiritual, emotional, mental environment and physical environment doesn't offer a valid alternative that's superior to what they just left, our words don't matter anyway of what we're going right. to say. And wow. so that's how the kingdom of God preaches
0: wow this is so rich well we're going to have to close this time i'm so regretful because i know there's so much (laughs) more inside of you that we could be digging out and making available so we'll just have to have you back at a future time to be able to speak again and sort of take it from where we've we've ended up right now but again i just want to uh invite you to just if you had just literally two minutes to to give a nugget to somebody to really shift their paradigm in this area, summarize it. What would you say?
1: I would say recognize responsibility, recognize Mm -hmm. personal responsibility for what you can take responsibility for. And if, if the smallest thing you can make a difference in is cleaning your car and bringing order to the environment in your car, start there, because that will build credibility in the spirit for you to have more responsibility to bring order to that which is beyond your immediate sphere. You're you're all in the business of faithfulness and follow through in the right. smallest level possible and not despising the day of small beginnings and being totally content, totally at peace and rocking the space you're in and not always look don't always look out to what's ahead or what you're trying to get to or your career path, but envision the space you're in being the battlefield and the space that you're supposed to occupy for the kingdom, perhaps for the rest of your life and being okay with that. Mm -hmm. And then God will escalate you into different things as you're faithful and you follow through and take responsibility.
0: Wow. That's so, so good. And of course, everybody remember that that responsibility also emerges out of your sense of identity. And one of the things we're so, we're so committed to at, at leaders Alliance is helping you rediscover your identity in Christ, Christ in you, the hope of glory, to partner there. And then from that identity to begin to sense your authority and authority obviously goes hand in hand with responsibility so it's like this 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 reality this shift in our thinking that we're not just here to go to church till we go to heaven we're here to bring transformation to the world around us by the grace and power of jesus within us and so it's been so great having you jonathan you're such a gift to the body of christ i really am excited to see how what god has given you begins to filter its way through the whole church And bring that leaven of of goodness that God wants to bring into the whole lump of the body of Christ. So anyway, as we close, can you just pray a prayer for everybody who's on right now and those that are on in the archives to just a a blessing for them to enter into this supernaturally to understand the ways of God as it relates to vocational reality? Go for it.
1: Yeah, Lord, I bless this audience and bless everyone listening to this podcast and ask for a opening of their heart and their mind to these informational truths, God, that you're laying out for the body of Christ. And I pray for a total redemption of every space, every people, place, and space in people's metrons. Pray for an anointing to be able to do that, to understand it, and to know how to tap into this co-laboring relationship with you, God, as a son or daughter in the kingdom of God, and to be able to thrive and enjoy occupying the space God's given them, and to bring in the little bit of on earth as it is in heaven into reality and to see that prayer answered Jesus prayed in Jesus name amen
0: amen and let's close with those final words of Jesus when he was sharing the parable of the talents and the minas you know he said occupied till I come and so so that's why you know we don't know when Jesus is coming back I know he is coming back but until that time let's Let's be busy. Let's do what God's told us to do, but let's do so in partnership with heaven. So God bless you. I'm so glad you could join us for this podcast and uh, just join us each week as well. We have amazing guests on and thank you so much, Jonathan, for being here. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Amen.